God is providentially at work in our lives, preparing us for his kingdom purposes. He is molding and shaping us by our life's experience to become more mature, godly servants of Christ that he wants us to be. We see this morning the providential work in the life of Elijah. Today, the narrative is that of Elijah encountering Obadiah. Through this encounter, God is providentially preparing Elijah for all that is yet to come. The common denominator throughout the events of 1 Kings chapters 17 through 19 is the person of Elijah. Each story involves Elijah, the story of the ravens, the widow, now Obadiah, the contest on Palm Mount Carmel, the response of Jezebel, and the anointing of Elisha all have the common denominator of Elijah. As we think of the events that accompany Elijah's encounter with Obadiah, we learn that God in his providence works in a myriad of ways. God does not always lead and or provide in the same way. Sometimes God works in supernatural ways, as we've already seen, and sometimes God works in very ordinary and what we might even think of as mundane ways in the everyday occurrences of life. When God works in the ordinary ways, it should not be less impressive to us. It should not be less striking than if God were to work in a miraculous way. It should still amaze us that God is over us, watching and caring for us in a providential way, leading in the events and circumstances of our lives. This morning, the theme is learning from Elijah's providential encounter with Obadiah. We begin by looking at the introduction that we are given concerning Obadiah. What do we need to know about him? Well, he was not the Obadiah that authored the book of Obadiah. He was not a prophet. He was a civil servant. Obadiah occupied a place of prominence and responsibility in the king's government. If you look at verse 3, and they had called Obadiah who was over the household. So Obadiah had a very high-ranking position in Ahab's reign. Some of the commentators think that this position perhaps was as high as second in command in the kingdom of Ahab. But Ahab was not only a public servant, he was also a committed follower of the Lord. If we look at verse 3, it says, And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, and now these words, now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. The ESV is right in putting this in parentheses, not that it isn't a part of the text, but it is an aside. It is information that, that we need to understand and to know. It's significant to the story that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. The fact that Obadiah feared the Lord means that he had a heart, mind, and reverence for the Lord that resulted in strong allegiance to the Lord as his, that is, God's servant. The name Obadiah means servant 
of Jehovah. And that is very appropriate for that who that is exactly who Obadiah is. He's a servant of the Lord. Obadiah had been a follower of the Lord for a long time, according to verse 12. For it tells us at the end of that verse, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. So virtually the entirety of his life, Obadiah had been a faithful servant to God. Now in the place and employ of King Ahab. Next we have the manner in which Obadiah's commitment to the Lord was manifested. It tells us that Obadiah protected God's prophets in verse 4. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, now here's the work of Obadiah, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave. So he provided them protection. Not only did he provide them with protection, but he also provided them with food. For it tells us at the end of verse 4, and fed them with bread and water. Obadiah had done all this, of course, at great personal risk, for he was going contrary to the commands of Jezebel, in fact, was trying to mitigate that which he was seeking to do, and namely kill the prophets. He risked his position, and he risked his life in order to do so. But because he was one who feared the Lord, he was willing to do just that. As we think about an application for this first section, we want to keep in mind that in the midst of all this wickedness, there is a godly man. We have been emphasizing that from the time that the kingdom of the north was established, we have this downward spiral of things getting worse and worse and worse and worse until now we're in the reign of Ahab and we saw last week that he was worse than all the kings that had come before him. Everything seemed so awful. Everything seemed so murky. And one is ready to ask the question, where is God in all this? Why does God allow this to happen? Well, here is a godly man in the midst of a very ungodly situation. Like Esther, Obadiah is placed in the king's palace. And again, like Esther, Obadiah is there for such a time as this. It's always important to realize that God has his people. And God places his people in positions in which they can serve the Lord and accomplish his purposes, even when those individuals that are over them are seeking to do something quite contrary, and that is to act against the will of God. But God always has his people. That's background material for what is to follow. For next, we have Elijah's providential encounter with Obadiah. And indeed, the meeting was providential. Though it was not planned by either of them, that is, Obadiah or Elijah, it was no accident. It was no accident. Though it was not planned by them, it was planned by God. For note the word behold in verse 7. And as Abadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. We emphasized last week that when we see that word behold, we need to stop and contemplate. Uh, we need to reflect. We need to think upon what is about to be said. This is something that we are not to miss. 
behold, Elijah met him. It was unexpected that Obadiah and Elijah would meet. Elijah was not intending or expecting to encounter Obadiah, and it was not the intention on the part of Elijah or Obadiah to set up this meeting. However, it was very intentional on the part of God. So now let's consider how God's providence works in this particular circumstance. How did God bring the two of them together? Well, Elijah encountered Obadiah as Elijah was in the normal course of events in fulfilling his responsibilities. Elijah was on his way to confront Ahab in accordance with the word of God. Verse 1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. That is his intention. That's what he's about. That's what he's told to do. Go meet Ahab. And so he has set his course to do just that. It was in the ordinary circumstances of seeking to meet up with Ahab that he encounters Obadiah. Obadiah encountered Elijah as Obadiah was carrying out the normal responsibilities of life. We are told in the scriptures that there had been this great famine, we know about that, that was taking place in the land. And Obadiah and Ahab together are out on a mission to try to find some place where there's still a bit of grass and water in order for the animals to live. So Obadiah encountered Elijah as Obadiah was carrying out the normal responsibilities of life. Obadiah and Ahab were out on routine business, and Obadiah was simply following the instructions of the Lord, verse uh, of the king. Verse 5, Ahab said to Obadiah, and this is what he told him to do, go through the land to all those springs of water and to all the valleys, perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. Obadiah was just doing his ordinary duty. Verse 6, so they divided the land between them to pass through it. And as they went, it says, and Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Obadiah, while following the instructions of the king, encounters Elijah in a providential manner. Verse 7. And as Obadiah was on the way, as he was just going about his duties and responsibilities, behold, Elijah met him. I can't emphasize enough that God had providentially ordained this meeting. Behold, Elijah met him. Last week, we saw that God had commanded the ravens to feed Elijah. And that God had commanded the widow to feed Elijah as well. Long before Elijah ever encountered the widow. The words, I have commanded the ravens. I have commanded 
the widow speaks of God's ordination, speaks of God's direction, thinks of God's decree. Our text could easily have said, I have commanded Obadiah to meet you there, but it doesn't. But it would have been appropriate if it would have. For God's providence resulted in Elijah meeting Obadiah every bit as much as God's providence resulted in the ravens and the widows feeding Elijah. You see, here is God's invisible hand at work. This is the normative way in which God works. We do not hear a voice from God telling us that, behold, I have commanded this event that is about to take place. But in actuality, God has commanded, ordained the events and circumstances of our lives. It is why the Puritans referred to God's providence as God's invisible hand. I've always loved that, that imagery. God's invisible hand. You can't see it. But God is directing the course of our lives. Just as when my children were little, I used to steer them through a crowd by putting my hand on top of their head and use their, their uh, head kind of as a steering wheel. And I would just guide them through a crowd. So God is at work in his invisible hand. What I want to emphasize is that they meet in the normal exercise of Obadiah's duties. It is the normative way in which God's works. The application is, as we faithfully fulfill our God-given duties, we will be used of God. And there are divine appointments in our lives. In God's sovereignty, people will come into our lives for our benefit and for their benefit. Sometimes very unexpectedly. And in other times, people with whom we rub our shoulders every day. But God is at work. God's providence is significant. Next, we see that God's providence takes many different forms. For here we see that God's providence in Obadiah's life looks far different than God's providence did in the life of the widow. For God does not always work the same way. Here is God providing for Obadiah and in turn for the hundred prophets in an ordinary way as opposed to a miraculous intervention. God had provided for the food and for the widow and extension for Elijah by miraculously seeing that the food would not be all used up nor would the oil be consumed, but it was miraculously preserved. Here we see that God provided by Obadiah by placing him in a cushy job. He's not like Elijah who is by a brook being fed by ravens that are scavengers. No, he's in a king's palace. And he doesn't wonder where his next meal or drink is going to come from for he is abundantly provided for. For the king and those closest to him are going to have the best in the land. God had provided for Obadiah by placing him in the king's employ. As a result, Obadiah would have plenty 
for himself and also for these prophets that he seeks to protect by hiding them in a cave. However, Obadiah's commitment to the Lord was no less than Elijah's commitment to the Lord. For it tells us in verse 3 that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And Elijah's commitment to the Lord was no greater than Obadiah's commitment to the Lord. We are reminded in James chapter 5, verse 17, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's no different than we are. And both Obadiah and Elijah had risked their lives for the Lord's service. Although that risk looked quite different for each of them. But here is God's provision for God's prophets who again were provided for in a far different way than what Elijah is provided for. But what we want to know is that God had protected the hundred prophets just as God had protected Elijah. However, their story was quite different. The way in which God worked wasn't the same. But the outcome was. And the agency is the same. It's God. The widow had been an unbeliever at the beginning. Obadiah was a follower of the Lord from the time that he was a child. The prophets were not in a foreign land where Elijah was sent to Sidon. The prophets were in Israel in a cave. They were provided for not in a miraculous way, but through the ordinary means of a very wealthy individual who had resources, who provided them with not only the production, but the food every day. What is in common is God's providential care. I want now to move to the providential obedience of Obadiah to Elijah's command. Elijah makes a command to Obadiah. Verse 7 and 8. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. And he immediately gives a command to Obadiah. Go tell your Lord, that is Ahab, behold, Elijah is here. Now, Obadiah's obedience to the command would not come without a legitimate risk. For he says in verse 14, Now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. He will kill me. Look at verse 12. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you, and I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, again, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. And verse 14. And he will kill me. And it's also earlier in the text. But I want now to look at the nature of the risk. Obadiah believes that when he tells Ahab where Elijah is, by the time Ahab 
gets there, Elijah will be long gone, and Abel, Obadiah, uh, excuse me, Ahab will kill Obadiah as a result of the fact that he said that Elijah would be there and he wasn't. For it says in verse 12, and as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where, and so when I come and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, he will kill me. Obadiah is surprised that his faithfulness to God is going to be rewarded in such a way. <laughs> he is surprised that his good deeds, if you will, of watching over the prophets and sparing their lives and providing them food is going to end up with him dying at the hands of Ahab. And so he asked this question in verse 13. Has it not been told you, my Lord, what I did? Has it not been told you what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord, prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? You see, it's not that Obadiah is unwilling to risk his life for he had already risked his life. He had already demonstrated his faithfulness. He had already proved himself. This isn't a, just simply about life and death. It's about the incongruity of it. it. It's about how things weren't working out the way that he expected. It isn't that he's afraid to die. It's why am I dying when I have been faithful to the Lord. Why, why would God do this? Obadiah is reassured by Elijah that he will be there when Ahab shows up, verse 15, and Elijah said, as Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah is obedient and does what he is told to do, verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. So God's purpose is fulfilled and eventually Ahab and Elijah meet. What I want to focus on this morning is that the encounter of Elijah with Obadiah was primarily for Elijah's benefit. It was God providentially at work in Elijah's life. For note, first of all, the emphasis is upon Elijah meeting Obadiah, not Obadiah meeting Elijah. Verse 7, as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. Elijah's name is first. Elijah's name is prominent in the narrative. What we're to think about is the fact that Elijah met Obadiah. This encounter was preparatory for what Elijah was about to face in the near future. This was God at work in Elijah's life. And there's a very important statement that 
Obadiah makes to Elijah in verse 15. He asks the question, Has it not been told my Lord, this is Obadiah speaking to Elijah, Has it not been told my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? I don't know if Elijah was aware of that previous to this or not. I don't know how commonly known it was in Israel that Obadiah had spared the lives of these prophets. I'd submit to you it wasn't too commonly known or Obadiah would have gotten in a world of trouble. I can't imagine that word would not have gotten back to Jezebel if it were common knowledge. Maybe he thought that God would reveal it to Elijah. I don't know. Maybe God did reveal it to Elijah. But what I do know is that Elijah is aware of it now. Now he knows that Obadiah had spared these hundred prophets and he had fed them and cared for them. Now he knows. So what should Elijah have taken note of? What should Elijah have learned that would help Elijah in all that he is about to face? First, Elijah needs to understand that Elijah is not the only one who will face the wrath of Jezebel. Elijah is about to face Jezebel's wrath. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2, if you look with me there, we're looking at future events. We will work our way through the text. We'll look at the Mount Carmel incident. We'll look at uh, all of these intervening verses in the weeks to come. So your reading is not in vain, but I, I asked you to read these sections because I want you to see a connection. This is what Elijah is about to face. Verse 2 of 1 Kings 19, 2, the response to when the fire comes down from heaven and consumes the altar. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. What Elijah should have known and kept in mind is that there were others that had been threatened by Jezebel. And their lives have been spared. Look at 1 Kings 18, 13. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? So not all the prophets were spared. But how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. He's not the only one. Not only the prophets, but Obadiah himself had risked his life. Elijah is not the only one who had been risking his life. God is not asking more of Elijah than God had asked from others. If you look with me at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Much like Obadiah, Elijah finds out that things don't turn out the way that he expects. When this fire comes down from, from heaven, 
uh, and consumes the, the altar. He's expecting a great revival and he's expecting a great work and he's expecting that Jezebel will change. But that doesn't happen. Revival happens, but Jezebel doesn't change. So his response is in verse 4 of 1 Kings 19, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree and he asked what he might die, saying, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Notice these words, for I am no better than my father's. For I am no better than my father's. What is he saying by that? I am no better than my father's. He's saying, you can't ask of me more than what you've asked of those that went before me. He sees his case as singular. He sees his situation as unique. He's sitting there lamenting and saying, God, you have never asked this of anybody else. Why are you asking this of me? Woe is me. Well, it turns out God had asked very similar things of others. Obadiah had risked his life. A hundred prophets had risked his life. And there were prophets that had died. We find out. So Obadiah's, excuse me, Elijah's situation was not unique. And then thirdly, Elijah should have kept in mind that he was not the only prophet of God and he certainly was not the only one that was left that was following the Lord. Look at 1 Kings 19.10. Elijah is about to face this overwhelming depression. And in verse 10, when he is speaking to God, he said, that's Elijah, and he's speaking to God, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And now notice these words, and I, even I only am left. I'm the only one. Everybody else is gone. I'm by myself. So what Elijah should have known from the passages before us is there are at least a hundred prophets still alive. He knows that. He knows there are still people that are serving the Lord. <laughs> there is Obadiah. He should have known that he wasn't alone. You see, God was preparing Elijah for the very struggles that he was about to face. There, there were things, if Elijah would have picked up on it, that would have helped him in all that he was encountering, but he was blind to it. He failed to recognize what God was teaching him through the providential care. Furthermore, God tells Elijah in verse 18 of chapter 19, 
we'll look at this in much more detail in the weeks to come. But I just wanted to point this out to you. 1 Kings 19, 18. Yet, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So not only are there 100 prophets, not only is there Obadiah, but now God raises the curtain, which he has no way of knowing at this point, but now God raises the curtain and says, I've got 7,000. I've got 7,000. What a lesson. What a lesson. My question to you is, as you've read through and thought about this passage, and it's a very, very common story. I think just about everybody who has any kind of church background, Sunday school, etc., is very familiar with it. But it is, has it ever struck you? Not just the fact that there are 7,000 have not bowed their knee, but there are 7,000 that made it through this famine. There are 7,000 that God had provided and cared for. There were 7,000 that had their own unique story. Wouldn't it be neat to hear the story from 7,000 different people how God kept them alive, how they had water and they had food when other people didn't. God was every bit as much at work in their lives as he was in Elijah's life and as he was in Obadiah's life. We're just not explained how. And I tell you, it's very easy to overlook the goodness and grace and provision of God when it comes in ordinary ways. It can be taken for granted. We marvel at the story of Elijah being fed by ravens and a widow whose food doesn't run out. But it is that gracious God that's providing for the widow, the ravens, and ultimately Elijah, that is also providing for Obadiah, the hundred, and yes, even the 7,000. We should not miss out on God's providential care. Conclusion. Some takeaways. First, God uses the circumstances in life and the people that we encounter to ready us for what is yet to come. Think about some of the people that God has brought into your life and what you have learned from them. Think about people that you have known, that have taught you, perhaps Sunday school or church, or perhaps just in the daily way in which they live their lives, their testimony how God provided for them, how God cared for them, how God answered their prayers to help you when you have your needs and you have your doubts and when you have your struggles. Ask yourself, what can you learn from them? 
And then what can others learn from you? How can you be used of God in the lives of others? As you're in a hospital bed and coming into counter with people that you hadn't planned to meet, but a nurse, a doctor, a roommate, that God brings into your life that you can share with them, you can talk with them, that, that God intends to do something special for them. Remember in life that your situation is not unique. You are not the only person facing what you're going through. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has taken you, but such is as common to man. That tendency is to think, God is asking more of me than he's asking of anyone else. Not true. Not true. But even more significantly, Learn from the way in which God has helped those in very similar circumstances to you. Learn that God has provided for them. He can provide for you. Learn that they came through it and learn that you can come through it too. Or if the lesson is the way in which they died, may God give us grace to die in such a way. For we have seen in our own congregation people that have weathered the storm. We, we have seen people come through, and we've also seen the glory. Of those that died in faith, who stayed faithful to the Lord and experienced his grace and mercy in times of hardship and difficulty, learn from those that God providentially puts in our path. Ask yourself, what have I forgotten as I think about the experience I'm going through today? What have I allowed to slip from my conscience, my memory? What do I need to remind myself of? I'm not one who keeps a diary. I don't keep a journal. I don't keep a prayer journal. I admire those that do. Maybe I should write down so I don't forget. The answer is the prayer. But I don't have to learn the same lesson over and over and over again. Rather, I can move forward. I can build upon that which God has already shown me and established and has done for me. Remember that God has provided in the past and he'll provide again. Maybe he'll supply in the exact same way. Maybe he'll supply in a far different way. Or he doesn't always work the same way. Nor is he limited in the way that he works. The second great takeaway, and I think that's extremely important, is that God's providence is no less amazing when he works through ordinary means than when he works through supernatural means. When we go from 1 Kings chapter 17 to 1 Kings chapter 18, the same awe 
the, the same amazement that we think of God when we realize that he provided for Elijah by these ravens that God commanded. I mean, they didn't know that. I mean, they can't comprehend. They did it without intention. But day and night, they are feeding Elijah. This is God over his creation. This is God over his creatures, and, and we're amazed. And then we look at this woman who initially doesn't have faith, but comes to faith. And God provides, and these, this, this food doesn't run out, and, and the jar never becomes empty, and we're amazed at this God and how he works. And unfortunately, we long for it. And we say, oh God, if only you were at work today. If only I were fed by ravens. And who wants to be fed by a raven? Raise your hand. Is that the way you want to be provided for for the next 30 years of your life? I don't think so. Oh, if only the oil wouldn't run out. How many of us would really like to be in a situation in which the cupboard is bare? And we're down to our very last morsel. No, we have an abundance, and we worry not about our next meal. We worry about our retirement. We worry about the next 15 years. Let's not stand in amazement of the ravens and the widow. Let us stand in the amazement of God's goodness to us on a daily basis. Day in and day out, he cares for us. He provides for us. Keep in mind God's providence in the course of everyday life. Thank God for your daily bread, whether it comes as a result of a raven or a paycheck. It's still God's provision. Thank God for your good health. Not just when you're miraculously cured, when you are given a death sentence that you're going to die in three months, and then God wonderfully works and heals, and you're restored. Thank God that today, as far as you know, you don't have any terminal illness. As far as you know, you're healthy today. That is no less a cause of rejoicing or the goodness of God. Don't miss out on God's providential good care of you. When you arrive safely at your destination, when nothing untoward has happened, when nobody has pulled out right in front of you, when you haven't had to slam on the brakes, when you haven't had to swerve to meet an oncoming car, where you have not encountered an experience where in just a, a moment, you could have been killed, and it's so easy at that moment to say, thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are so good. You spared my life. Don't miss God's goodness when you arrive there without any untoward event taking place at all. Everyone stayed on their side of the road. Everyone stopped at the stop sign. Everyone went about their daily course of events. And you arrived safely. That is no less 
the goodness and grace and providence of God than if he spared your life by allowing you to swerve when someone was coming to hit you head on. You see, there's a macro lesson here. And the macro lesson is that there's a flood, there is a famine in this land. And the reason that there's a famine in this land is because the Israelites had failed to worship and give thanks to God. And they began to worship Baal. Or they failed to see the goodness and grace of God and his provision for them. In all the years of bounty, in all the things that he provided for them, in that moment they began to wander in their allegiance to God and began to serve Baal. So God had to bring these events into their lives to, to bring them back. That they would worship him and serve him as they should. And we're going to marvel at what God does on Mount Carmel. Let me just say to you this morning, if God will use this message in your life to awaken you to God's goodness and providential care, that you worship him and give thanks to him in a way that you are not accustomed to, that is no less than God calling down fire from heaven. That's God bringing us back to him, which is what the text says happened. And the fire came down. May God teach us of his wonderful, marvelous, daily, providential care in our lives. The invisible hand that is so easily missed because it's unseen. And if we can do that, God will prepare us for that which is yet to come in our lives. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us this day to, to trust in your providence and to see your goodness. A goodness that is seen not only in the miraculous, but in the ordinary. Help us to see that you are no less at work in the ordinary than you are in the miraculous. That you are still overseeing, you are still guiding, you are still providing. Lord, give us thankful and grateful hearts. Give us hearts of worship. Give us hearts of submission. Give us hearts of trust. Give us hearts that don't fear. Give us hearts that don't doubt. Give us hearts that respond in obedience. Help us to be like an Obadiah. Elijah, a hundred prophets, 7,000 people who did not bow their knee to Baal. Lord, help us to be numbered among the faithful. 
Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.